Take your Bible. Take your Bible. Turn with me to Psalm 100. How many of you are tired of hearing me always start out? Take your Bible. I got bad news for you. It's never going to change. Take your Bible. I don't have much to say, but what he has to say is worth everything. Psalm 100. All right. You know where we're at. We took a week off last week. We're in a series called Show Us the Father. John chapter 14, there was a man who said to Jesus, obviously, you know who God is and you know what he's like. We can tell by the things you do. And he said to him, tell us what God's like. We'd like to know. And he said to him in the next verse, verse nine, he said, he's been standing beside you for two years. You didn't recognize it. Why did they not recognize God? He'd been standing right beside him for two years because they'd been taught wrong. And when they saw him, they couldn't believe that was him. They didn't know that God could be that happy. They didn't know God could be that kind. They didn't know God could be that merciful. They'd been taught that he's mad at you and he's going to get you. They were shocked at the grace of this man. And they said, what's God like? He said, you've been looking at him for two years. They were shocked at the kindness of God. So we're going through a series talking about what's he, what's he like. We're in Psalm 100 right now. We talked about he's my shepherd. We talked about him leading me. And we landed two weeks ago in Psalm 100 verse four that says this, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And we talked about that God almighty, very God wants me to come and spend time with him. And he enjoys it. And he enjoys it when me and him dine together. And it was called fellowship visiting. We went through the scriptures. You saw that. All right, today we're going to stay on this same verse, but we're going to shift gears a little bit. Praise God. I have come to the table and me and him are having a grand time. Are you not amen and good enough this morning? I have come to the table. We're going to have a grand time. And I love him. He's wonderful. He's, he's great. I'm having the best time with him. And all of a sudden he says to me, look to your right and to your left. And I said, what? He says, look to your right and to your left. And I go, whoa, where'd they come from? Guess what I find out? He's got family. I knew you wouldn't be excited about that. You was excited about it with him. I'm all about that. But here's the deal. <clears throat> We're going to talk about the heart of God this morning and family his family. Uh, how can I, how can I say this? When I got married 41 years ago to the girl I love more than life itself, still do. Uh, she brought this cat with her. I ain't got no use for cats. I like dogs. Dogs are friendly. They're happy. They're humble. Cats are snotty. Yeah or nay. They just sit around looking snotty and cocky. And I'm sorry if you're a cat person, deal with it. I, I love dogs. She brings it. And he, not only that, he was mean. I didn't want that cat, but it was a package deal. And she told me, love me, love my cat. Well, he's an old cat. I knew he wouldn't be around long. I said, bring him. It don't matter. <laughs> so I, I, when I got the woman, I got the cat. You understand what I'm saying here? I didn't want the cat, but to get the woman, I had to take the cat. I got them both there, package deal. Let me make an announcement. I need Jesus. I love Jesus. I care about Jesus. Guess who's coming with him? Love me, love my family. You cannot, listen, this thing in America that says, you can write a book today, I love God, but I hate church, it'll sail. I don't, I don't fly. You can't do that. You cannot take the king and reject his family. Oh, we're not amen and good today. It's all right, we'll get there. All right. We're gonna hear his heart and then today. If you're gonna take Jesus, you have to take his family. They come as a package deal. You can't opt out. You with me? I'm counseling a fellow one time and he's dating this girl. And uh, he, he asked me, um, she had a, a child or something. He said, well, I can't stand the kid. He said, he said, I like her, but I don't want the kid. I said, let me, can I prophesy over this marriage? Y'all need to get paper plates. You don't need real plates. Get paper plates when you get married because that's about as long as it's going to last. You get God, you get his children. All right, you ready? Let me start. I'm going to dump the apple cart over today. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. It starts with placement. Foster placement. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. You find 1 Corinthians 12. You ever seen uh, signs on the back of tractor trailers or signs on billboards that say something like this? Attend the church of your choice. Y'all ever seen that? I forgot y'all don't get out of the house much, but they're out there. That's not right. You can't attend the church of your choice. It's a Tell me where I can go to church. There it is, right there. You can't attend the church of your choice. You can't do that. 
not according to the Bible. I mean, when we're bowling, say we're bowling in, at night and everybody gets done and Fred says, well, I'm going home. I said, well, go home with the wife of your choice. <laughs> you can't go home with the wife of your choice. We got too much of that mess going on today. Who does Fred go home with? He goes home with his wife. The Bible does not say husbands love wives. It says husbands love your wife. I think we get left that part out right there. You can't attend the church of your choice. That's already been chosen for you. Okay, I'm gonna go on without the amens today. First Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians 12 verse 18 says this. But now the father, God has set or placed the members What's the word each one mean? Is that everybody? Each one of them in the body as he pleased. If you're a child of God, he has chosen a group of people you're to be in relationship with. Can you see it? God has chosen and he sets every person in the body exactly where he wants them. You can see this clearly. So if I'm a child of God, I need to ask him, where is it you want me to be? What group of people do you want me to be aligned with I'm going to say it again. There's this crazy thing in America now that I can take Jesus, but I don't want nothing to do with his family. Unscriptural. It don't fly. Years ago, a country singer by the name of Tom T. Hall. Remember Tom T. Hall? You got to be overrated to know him. That was a long time ago. He wrote a country song. I think it reached number one on the charts at one time. And it went like this. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. We don't need anybody. That's an outright lie. If you got Jesus, you got to have somebody because he's going to put you with people and he's going to yoke you with certain people. All right. Now it's, it's called a, do you notice what he called his family? Isn't that weird to y'all? He called his family a body. What do you know about a body? Parts. Somebody said it. parts. Tell me about parts. <laughs> parts need parts. I didn't make this up. He wrote it. Parts need parts. Suppose my liver decides it don't like nobody. It's going to go strike out on its own. Ain't that liver going to have a great life? That liver ain't going to live long, is it? The one's body's parts. And you can look on all through this. That's why through this whole passage, he talks about the hand, the foot, the eye, the ear, different parts. Who's the head? Jesus is the head. But the body is parts. I want you to look at what he says. Look with me at verse 21. And the eye, that's part of the body, that's a person, cannot say to the head, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. You cannot say, I don't need God's family. You say, well, if I got Jesus, I got all I need. No, you don't. What do he say right here? If you got him, you got to have the family. And you cannot reject the family, being part of that family. Um, All right, what's the problem? Tell me what the problem is in this nation today. Everybody loves Jesus. Guess why you love Jesus? He's easy to love. He's perfect. He's good. What's the problem with the people? (laughs) Say it. We're going to talk about say it. People are crazy. They are. People are crazy. I get on Daniel. I've asked Daniel half a dozen times, please play my favorite hymn. Sing my favorite hymn up here. He says, well, well, I'll pray about it. You know what it means when church people say, I'll pray about it. It ain't happening. I asked him, I said, sing my hymn. I sing, I sing it all the time. I, I just love it. He will not sing my favorite hymn. It's a great hymn and it really captures the essence of life and church and everything. And uh, on my last Sunday, I'm going to bring my guitar and I'm going to sing it whether he likes it or not. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Oh, you won't like it when I sing. The, but the chorus goes like this. It sounds like this. God is great. Beer is good. And church people are crazy. <laughs> are you with me? Now you laugh. That's a great song right there. I'm going to make an announcement. Church people are goofed up. You thinking I'm fixing to say, aren't they? Aren't we? You, I wake up a lot of mornings, put my hand straight up in the air before I get out of bed and I say, thank you for loving your handicapped child. I'm telling you, people are a mess. Can I make an announcement? They're getting more messier than they've ever been these days. Easy to love Jesus. Then people's a whole different deal. I got a shirt that says, God loves you and I'm trying. I'll wear that once in a while. All right. Let me make an announcement. Let me make an announcement. Relationships are messy. 
Let me tell you something about family. I, I married a couple other. Guess what we say when people get together? We marry them. You know, they got syrup running all over them when they're down there at the altar. We say things like better or worse. Guess why we say that? Because relationships are messy. Family can be messy. Church can be messy. Apparently people have not read the Bible. Read through the book of Acts. What do you see in there? You see them arguing with each other. Matter of fact, I think it's chapter 15. The greatest Christian that ever lived wrote half the Bible. His name was Paul. The greatest encourager in the history of the world. His name was Barnabas. They were partners. They disagreed over something in the church. Listen to this. And the, the contention became so sharp that they quit talking to each other and separated. They just fell out and split right there in the church. And that's the greatest Christian that ever lived. Relationships are messy. Families are messy. Youngins is messy. Can I get a witness? Have you one and find out? All these people all said, we're having a baby. I said, apparently you had not had one yet. You wouldn't be excited. You let them come later like that. <laughs> Youngins are tough. There was marriage is tough. Marriage is messy. Relationships are messy, but you cannot reject them just because they're messy. All right. Why do I have to do church? A lot of people have rejected church. They just want Jesus. To, you can't. Why do I have to do church? <laughs> Uh, there was this, years ago, there was this uh, lady. She went in to get her son up. Time to get ready for church. She said, get up. Time to go to church. He said, I'm not going today. She said, yes, you are. Get yourself out of that big area of church. He said, I'm not going. She said, why do you want to go to church? He said, oh, I'll give you three reasons. Number one, when I go down there, nobody's ever nice to me. Number two, it ruins my day when I go. And number three, I never have any fun when I go. He said, I'm staying here. She said, get out of the bed. She said, if you, she said, I'm going to give you three reasons why you are going. Number one, it's the right thing to do. I don't really think that's the reason to go. But she said, it's the right thing to do. Number two, if you're going to live in this house, you're going to go to church. Wow. Mama. And she said, number three, if they're going to pay you to be their pastor, you need to be there when they get together. <laughs> well, I understand that. All right, fine, fine. If it gets me in heaven, I'll go with that bunch of jack legs. No, 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 listen to me. You're not supposed to endure church. We, we've really missed it in this nation when it comes to church. I'm not gonna be unkind, but we've missed it. You're not supposed to endure church. Why would this guy who is so good, who paints the sunset, why would he tell me to be a part of something that beats me up? Then was he, he, wants, he wants you to be involved with the family of God for two reasons, from the Bible, two reasons. Number one, to bless you. Remember this, remember this. Put this over everything you ever hear him say. The, the full converse of the Bible, I have come that you might have abundant life. Everything he wants you to get into is so somehow you can have a more abundant life. He wants you to be involved in church so your life can be better. And the other reason he wants you in there, because he wants you to bless somebody. There's two reasons. He wants to be good to you and he wants you to be good to somebody. All right, I want to sort of break rank here a little bit. <clears throat> I, I, don't, I don't want to belabor this, but I got to teach you, we have really perverted today what this book says. Even Jesus, when he walked on the earth, did he not go into churches and kick the tables over and throw the preachers out and say, it is written, my house shall be like this, but you have turned it into this. Often he did that in scripture. And how many times have we missed it? But, but listen to me, even, even as, so I, they're just all idiots. I ain't messing with, you can't rewrite his word. I've got to go with the book. I don't want to do something for just a minute in case you don't know it. There are five reasons in scripture why we need church. They're good. And there are five reasons that he gives for them. And uh, I just want you to listen to what I'm going to say this morning. I'm going to show you in scripture. You listen to it. And you say, is, is that where I'm in church? Is that what's going on with me? And if you look at what he says in here, you know what people are going to say? They'll say, I want that right there. Yes, sir. I'd like to have that right there. Five reasons from scripture. Number one, and this starts out, Jesus said, when people come together, I want them to come together to learn to, to, learn, to, learn to live a better life. You should go to church because it helps you. Here's what he said. This is called the Great Commission. It's Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. He said, I have all authority. Go into all the earth and make disciples, teaching them. 
Teach them to live the life you saw me live. Teach them to live a sacrificial life. Teach them how to live in joy. Teach them how to have hope. Teach them how to serve. Teach them how to walk by faith. Teach them how to kick the devil's rear end. Now, I know know the Bible says overcome him, but you get the point. Teach them how to live a great life. Teach the people how to have a better life. Number one, when you come together, we got to teach you how to have a better life. And if you look, the church actually began on a set day in Acts chapter two. What's the first thing the Bible says about them? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles teaching. They were learning how to live a better life. We come to learn how to live a better life. It's just the absolute number one thing we do. All right, let me ask you a question. Does anybody know uh, of any Christians? They all that know where does any Christians live? Does anybody know a Christian? I'm making these questions easy as I can. I don't know why they're missing them. Easiest, how do you know they're Christians? Say, Brother Brown, they go to church every Sunday. So does the devil. Fact that you set your fan in church, that don't make you nothing. Can I get a witness? That's good right there. What's the, only, what's the only sign Jesus said to look for? John 13, 35, listen to it. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Not when they see how you love Jesus, when they see how you love each other. By this, all will know that you're my disciples when they see how you love each other. Let me tell you what he's got up his sleeve. He wants to teach us to love people like he loves people. That's why we come together here. All right, can I point something out? Let me show you the difference between American churches and the church he wants. In our churches, we homogenize around our type. We got white churches. We got black churches. We got, uh, we got churches for uppity, snooty people. We got churches for redneck people. You know, we got all different kinds of churches. And we sort of center around our type. Let me tell you what his book says. And I saw a, a great number from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He wants you to learn how to love people. He wants us to learn how to love people and ain't like us. Perhaps you've never thought about this before. Did Jesus call a group of people to walk with him? You remember this? Did he say, follow me to a number of people? Guess what happened when they started following Jesus? By the way, they ate with him, walked with him, traveled with him, camped with him. But guess what they had to learn to do if they was going to follow Jesus? They had to learn to walk side by side with each other. Can I point something out here? And maybe you think Jesus didn't know what he was doing. All right. Jesus, who's the first two disciples he called? Simon and Andrew, whose brother were fishing. Jesus said, follow me. They left everything, followed him. He goes a little further. He calls two more, numbers three and four. Their names are James and John. He said, follow me. They dropped the nets, followed him. The four of them were walking together. Everything was cool right then. Because all four of them were alike. They were ultra conservative. Jewish, ultra conservative. They were redneck. They were commercial fishermen. They were out. They were rough as a cob, outdoor commercial fishermen, cut you, cuss you, ultra conservative right wingers. I'm not making this up. It's what they were. Everything went upside down one day when he was walking and they were with him and he stopped and he saw Matthew, number five, at a tax office. He said to Matthew, you follow me too. Matthew locked the door in the tax office, said, I'm coming. It was on. It was on. Simon, Andrew, James, and John hated his guts because he'd been stealing from them. He was the tax collector in their town and he'd been stealing money from them and they hated him and they hated his type. Now, I don't know if, I don't know if Matthew hated them four boys, but he was wealthy and snooty and he looked down his nose at these dumb rednecks. Are you with me? Y'all don't read, y'all don't see this in the Bible. And uh, surely Simon said, master, master. And Jesus turned around and said, Deal with it, boy. That's what the Greek means. Deal with it, boy. And if you look at all 12, look at their lives. Why do you think the second Simon was called Simon the Zealot? He was crazy as a sprayed roach. Are you with me? And he put that 12 together and he said, learn to love each other. And they did it. You know what that's called? Church. All of them wanted Jesus. All of them wanted to follow Jesus. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to deal with this guy right here. When did he change? He's never changed. He brings people together to learn to live like he lived. That's what we do. And uh, that's why we look at the fifth disciple. All right, number two, what's the second reason God wants people to be together? Read with me. We're in 1 Corinthians 12. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 12. Look at me in verse 24. Our presentable parts have no need God composed the body. Who puts 
the deal together. God puts it together, having given greater honor to those who lack, that there should be no division in the body, but the members should what? Care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer. If one's honored, all the members honor. Now, reason number two is so you can take care of each other. He didn't create church just for people to come and watch a band and listen to a guy talk. He wants people to come together and take care of each other. And he puts people together in groups so that they can, and you notice what, it, what else is saying there? No division. We're going to care for each other. And when you go through a tough time, people are going to be there to help you. And when something good happens, we're going to celebrate with you. All right, that's called taking care of each other. That's the primary reason that he put them together. Then when everything else I can do with just Jesus, I can't do this with him. I got to have people for this. All right, the third thing, number three, it's called community or fellowship. I want you to look at me in Acts chapter two. I'm of the humble opinion. A lot of people disagree with me. I believe that Acts chapter two is the blueprint. It's God's blueprint for what church ought to be. And a lot of people disagree with me. That's fine. I'm having no we can disagree and still walk together. You can be wrong if you want to. I am convinced Acts chapter two is what he means for church to look like. You can't leave anything out. But now listen, this is where a lot of my preacher friends and folks here disagree with me. I don't think you need to add anything to this book either. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. And I think Acts two is a picture of the church. I want you to read with me just a few verses here. And this is the description. Verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles teaching. We've already talked about that. They learned how to live the Jesus life. What's the next thing? fellowship and breaking bread. These people enjoyed being together and eating together. All right. So they're learning how to live like Jesus. They eat together. Now fellowship's not when we're all sitting in a room listening to a preacher. Fellowship's when we're sitting across from each other, looking at each other. We're, we're in a circle. We're enjoying each other. All right, they're enjoying each other. They're eating together. What else did they do? All right. They prayed together for each other. Fear came on every soul, many signs and wonders. Verse 44, all who believe were together, together. I got this thing today called the virtual church. There's no such thing. It's an offense to God. What does it say? They were all together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Listen to this. These people so cared for each other. You get hurt and you get out of work. I'll sell my truck and pay your electricity bill and I'll make your house payment. These, these people were put together to take care of each other. And they loved each other so much, they lived sacrificially like that. They sacrificed for each other. All right, watch this. Verse 46, continuing daily with one accord. How many of you know one accord is good? That means unity. In the temple, breaking bread from house to house. What's the only thing it mentions twice? Eating together. All right, watch how they did it. Breaking bread. Let's read this carefully. Continuing daily, one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with madness, <laughs> stiffness, gladness, and simplicity of heart. These were common country people that were just so happy to be around each other and they ate and they enjoyed it. Right. They said, what, what's all that? This is church. This is what he calls church. I don't see no disco lights. <laughs> this is church. Praising God and having favor with all the people. I'm convinced that is the blueprint. That's what he wants church to look like. That's why it's in the Bible. We don't need to take away from it. We don't need to add to it. What's the main thing you see in there? Community. Dear ones, everybody needs a group of people to enjoy. All right, go all the way back in world history. What's the first thing in this earth that wasn't good? He created the heavens, it was good. He created the lights, good. He created the plants, good. Animals, good. What's the first thing he said wasn't good? It is not good for a man to be alone. It is not good for people not to have somebody to share life with. I listen to me. This is going to sound, just sit tight and listen to this. God's not enough. Go back. Genesis chapter two, God and Adam walked in the garden and God said, it is not good for that man to be alone. I will make somebody for him to do life with. He had God walking with him in the garden. He created you to need him. Enjoy him. That's why we come to the table. He created you to need people. He created you to need people in your life. He said, but they're so screwed up, aren't we? I don't care how goofed up people get. You still need people in your life. You need, I'm not talking about to fuss at you. You need people to love you. You need people to eat with. 
You need people to talk to. Church. That's what he meant for it to be. It's a place where people have somebody to care for them. Why do these kids go join gangs today? Why would you let somebody beat you or shoot you in the foot with a 22 pistol to get in their, in their group? People are looking for a family. People are looking for a family. Why would a girl join the Hells Angels and get treated like them girls get treated in there? They're looking for a family. That's church. That's what church is supposed to be. But we've missed it so bad in our culture. All right, number three is community. He wants you to have a group of people you can do life with. What's number four? All right, let me show you how warped we are in this land about church. I've had people actually say to me, Brother Brian, I don't feel like I've been to church if I don't get my toes stepped on. Well, let me go get a stick you bend over and I'll beat the hell out of it. That's what it takes for you to feel like you've been to church. We don't go to church to get beat up. We're getting beat up enough out there. Can I get a witness? Number four, turn with me to Hebrews 10. I'm going to quote the verse that very few preachers can finish. Hebrews 10. By the way, number four is encouragement. If you don't get encouraged and you go to church, quit going. All right, Hebrews chapter 10. This is the reason we come together. Encouragement. All right, I want you to look with me. Have you ever heard this before? I've heard a many a preacher preach on this. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And then they beat people up because they miss a Sunday to go to the races. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Beat them up because they don't go to church. You're going to get beat if you do go to church. You might as well live with it. All right, let me make an announcement. This passage does say, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You need to be with people. Meet the people. But look at the reason. Look with me in Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another. I thought when we came to church, we thought about Jesus. What's consider mean? Think about. You need to think about people. When we come together, consider one another. Think about people. In order to tick them off, (laughs) criticize them, find fault with them. No. Why should you be thinking about people? To stir up love and good works. Got it? When you come on his property. You need to walk in this place. You need to be thinking, what can I say to help them? What can I do to make these people know they're loved by Jesus? We need to think about each other to stir up love. Now here's the verse, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, come together as is the manner of some, but encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. The more you see that we're getting closer to the second coming of Jesus. You tell me why you should go to church so I can be encouraged and I can encourage people. We need to come together. I mean, this needs to be a, what they call a mutual admiration society. You need to come in here thinking one thing, how can I love these people and hug them and encourage them and build them up? I've had a many a person that came to this church say to me, uh, you know, I came here and said, before I ever got in the door, somebody grabbed me and hugged me. Paul Crotz is one of my best grabbers and huggers. That's why we gave him the job out there. Paul's one of our greeters. We got the best greeters. Don't you understand people are looking to be loved somewhere. People, go, people are getting beat up today. You know, you, you go into McDonald's and somebody looks and says, what you want? <laughs> what you get to eat is even worse than the way they treat you. Can I get away? I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Dear ones, we don't come to church to get beat up. We come to church to get built up. Right, yes. Do not forsake this assembly because you need the encouragement. And we, I, listen to me. I'm 105 years old. I have never seen a day when people need encouragement more than they do today. Church is supposed to be a place of encouragement. You need to go out there encouraged and built up. All right, Acts 2.46 says this. The Bible said that they were built up when they came together. And they were encouraged when they, when they were brought together. Uh, I'm going to show you something wild. Turn me to 1 Corinthians 14. And you tell me if we're doing church right. 1 Corinthians 14. All right. I may even know if we're reading the Bible... And we come across somewhere where we're not doing it the way the Father wants it done. We should tell him he needs to change to suit us. Why we keep doing that? Doing if I'm reading the Bible and I cross, come across something where I'm not doing it the way he wants it done, I need to change me to line up with what his word says. Amen. All right. I want to point something out before we read this passage. Let me go. I'm going to quote again. We just read it, Acts chapter two. It said that they, they met together in the temple and from house to house. Now they had over 3,000 people in that church. 
So they met together in the temple. They were taught, but what else did they do? They broke that big group down into manage. You can't take 3000 people in a house. They met from house to house. They had, they had smaller groups and they met together. All right. Now, most people will tell you when, well, I'm looking for a church that doesn't meet my needs. That's what most people tell you. Well, let me ask you this. Why don't you go find your church where you can meet somebody's needs? Didn't get much out of that, did I? All right. Let me show you the difference between how they did church and how we do churches in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 is where it tells you this is how you do it when you come together. Look at this strange verse with me. Verse 26, Acts 14, 26. How is it then, brethren? He's telling them, here's how you have church meetings, ordering church meetings. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, what does that mean? When we come to have church, when you come together, each of you has a psalm, which is a song, a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Everything we do in church should build people up. Edification means build people up. What do you say? These people didn't come to listen to a man talk. When they came together, every one of them brought something. They brought a song. I heard this song this week. I think it'll really bless y'all. Let me sing it for you. I said, well, if I can't sing, play it on a, play it on a uh, phone or something. All right, another one came. They said, the Lord taught me something in my quiet time this week. Let me share it with y'all. This is what they did when they came to church. They didn't just come together and listen to a guy talk. There's nothing wrong with that. But these people got together to help each other and everybody brought something. What does the Bible say? Every part doing its share. And they brought them together. And you need to come for encouragement. And then let me give you one more. Uh, You need to come because the moment you made God your father, it became God and sons, the family business. I got a lot of friends that have uh, brought their sons into their business. And they're so thankful to have their sons in their business. My college roommate, his daddy had a huge business in Charlotte. And he, you know, he was just so thrilled because as soon as he graduated from college, he was going to go to work with his daddy. And he told me many a time, one day that business will be mine. The day he graduated, his daddy sold it and said, you ain't ruining what I built. Go get a job. He was just out of luck. what he was. <laughs> He's probably right. He would have ruined it. All right, here. You became part of God and son's movers, builders, whatever you want to call it. God Almighty is on a mission in this earth. God Almighty's mission is the only thing going on for eternity in this earth. It's the most important thing going on in this earth. And the moment you begin following him, you go to work with him in the family business. And we become a part of his family business. Because let me tell you something. I can't do it by myself. I can't help people by myself. I need people to help me help people. You can't do it by yourself. I want you to look at me at that strange verse in Ephesians chapter four. Turn to the right a couple of books, Ephesians chapter four. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Ephesians four, but it's where our heavenly father gives the description of this is what I meant for church to be. And he starts off by saying, I've selected certain people. I've given uh, spiritual gifts to certain people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to, to help, to equip the saints, to help people, but there's one verse that's the linchpin verse in this whole thing. And this is, this is the plan of God. It's the heart of God for church. Ephesians 4, 16, look what it says. From whom the whole body, you notice how he keeps calling it a body or a family? From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what the preacher does. Does it say every joint? Every joint supplies according to the powerful working by which, watch these words, every part does its share causes growth of the body to do what? Build itself up in love. Do you see in that verse where a few professionals are supposed to do it? You know what I see in there? Every part doing its share to heal this world. Uh, let Let me point out something to you that people miss in this verse. Let's read it again. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. A joint's not a part. A joint's where two parts come together. I can't do this without you. I can't help. I don't care if you're the greatest preacher in the world. Somebody got to turn the lights on. Somebody got to keep the children. Thank God I'm a preacher. Some, it's, it's the family of God has to help this world. And one man can't do it. And the American church has built a culture of put that guy on the stage and pay him, let him do it. What does the Bible teach? Every part doing its share. Build the family of God. All right, I'm going to quit right there concerning the, did you get those five things? Let me go through them again. The only reason he instituted church and what he wants is so people can come and learn how to live a better life. We call it the Christ life. Yeah. 
They can be taken care of and they can care for people. You care for each other. They can find the family that they're looking for, fellowship, community. They can be encouraged and they can help this world in God's business. That's the only reason church should exist. That's what he meant. Sort of missed it in America, hadn't we? But let me tell you something. He's not gonna rewrite his word. Can I quote to you, John 5, 17, my father is working. He's still working today because he still loves people. He still cares about people. Listen to me. Jesus Christ is the only hope for humanity for eternity. And listen to what he said. I must be about my father's business. I want to help people. And you do too. I don't want to break with party lines. This, this, this bothers some preachers, but let me say some things. Don't just go to church for sake of going to church. If a church is hurting you, get out of it. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. We're pretty close right there. I'm going to go deep right here. When you go to church, you should come away better for having gone. If you come away worse, quit going. I said, Brother Brian, you shouldn't tell people not to go to church. I didn't tell them. I'm reading it. 1 Corinthians 11. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 11. <laughs> All righty. <clears throat> Verse 17. This is talking about conduct in church. In giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, church meeting, not for the better, but for the worse. What did he say? You was worse off for going to church. Verse 18, first of all, you come together, I hear there are divisions among you. I'm gonna make an announcement. If you're going to church that hurts you, get out of it. How many people have I met in this community that are wounded and burned by church? Can you see from that verse, church is supposed to help you and not hurt you? Now I've had people say to me, well, brother Brian, I've been here all my life and... Brother Brian, grandma's buried in the cemetery. I can't help And I said, look, 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 look right here. Dig her up. <laughs> Take her with you, but get the heck out of there. there was, can you not see from scripture? You're supposed to be better off for having gone. Right. Amen. So I want to be one of them church hoppers. Hop till you find something that works, doc. Would you go to a doctor's killing you? I don't want to change doctors. Rather die right here with them. God almighty, that's crazy. Church should not damage you. Number two, I'm going to go a little further. If a church is dead, get out of it. All right. I don't get to define dead church. Jesus does. Revelation chapter three, verse one. Jesus said to the church at Sardis, you have a name in your community that you're alive, but I say you are dead. What is the definition? Now listen, we've got to stick with scripture. What is the definition of a dead church? It's in James chapter two, verse 26. The body without the spirit is dead. I don't care if the church is fancy. I don't care if they got pyrotechnics going on and Roman candles shooting on the stage and they got a preacher who can dazzle you. If you don't sense the spirit of God in that place, get out. I'm, I, I don't have time to play games. We've got to help people and the Holy Spirit's the only one that can help people. I want you to listen to what the Bible says. John 6, 63. Human effort profits nothing. Only the spirit can help people have life. And you need to be in a church where you sense the spirit of God working. All right. Now, now let me, let me, let me help people here. I've had people, we have people listen to us around the land and they've told me, said, brother, Brian, we, we just can't find a good church. I understand that. I understand that. All right, listen to me. Let me, let me, uh, find you one. But if you can't find one anywhere, look right here at your preacher. If you're, if you're watching online, watch me right here. Start one. Now, listen to me. Don't, don't put a sign out in front of your house, Bubba's Church. No, don't do that. <laughs> remember, remember, church is not a building. We're so, we think, we just think nutty about this. Church is not a building. You don't have to have a license. You don't, they didn't have license. You don't have to have a sign. You don't have to call yourself a church. Call it a Bible study. You listen to me. You listen to me. You get you three or four couples. You get eight or 10 people, maybe 12 and you say, let's meet at my house on a Tuesday night. And when you come there, let me tell you what you do. You eat together. You encourage each other. You get it and say, let's, let's learn how to live it. Let's help each other live this Jesus life. Let's pray for our children together. Let's help each other. You get you a group that you can do church with. You don't need a sign. You don't need a banner, but you need a group of people that can care for you and you can care for. And when you call them at two o'clock in the morning, they'll be there. Start you one. Again, don't put a sign out there. Church is not a building. It's not a program. 
It doesn't have, you don't have to have professional anything. You know what you need to have a good church? I'm sitting with the pastor of the largest church in our state, one of the largest churches in our nation. I'm a younger guy in my thirties trying to figure out what to do. He called me one day, said, I'm going to be in your area. I'm going to take you out to eat. He began to sort of mentor me. So we're sitting there eating in this Texas steakhouse and we're talking about something, cars, I don't know. And all of a sudden he stopped and put his fork and he looked at me and he said, you know what you have to have to have a church that really helps people? And I said, what? He looked at me and he said, God. <laughs> Picked up his fork, went back to eating. I learned more in that one sentence than a lot of people learn in four years of seminary. I'm going to say this in humility, but I think we tried to add all the stuff, all this fancy stuff to help us. And I think we've reached a place where we put our trust more in the stuff than we do in the God. Book of Acts, they didn't have nothing except God. And they had the greatest church on earth. You don't need all this stuff. You need God. You need the, it's called the spirit of God. You need his help and you start you one and, uh, you learn with each other. You encourage each other. I'm going to give you, can I give you a little test here? 10, 12 years ago, we had a fellow came to work here. Great guy. And he moved here and got a little rental place because he, did, he did, couldn't find a house. So he got a little rental place and then he found him a house. And he said, I'm going to move. I, I got it all straightened out. I'm going to move. I said, well, when are you moving? He said, a couple of weeks. I said, well, listen, don't, don't get a moving company. We'll do it. Save you the money. And uh, I said, we'll just do it ourselves. You get a rental truck. A bunch of us will come over there. So on a set Saturday, he got a rental truck and we all went over there and uh, got over there and we had the best time. We play, they were playing, uh, you know, Christian music. I'm singing. I sing all the time. You'll cuss less if you sing more. I'm singing all the time, having a grand time. We're just singing and we're just encouraging each other and laughing and we get all, we're loading this stuff up there. We stopped, had lunch together, had a big time. We just enjoyed each other so much and uh, had a great time, got done, got all packed up. We cleaned up the house, got done, got ready to go. He said, well, let me pray for us before we, before we leave. And I'll never forget it. He's standing up on the step of that, that place. We're, it's about 10 or 12 of us. He said, for, and then I stopped. He said, uh, he said, we've had church today. I thought we have not. <laughs> we didn't take up offering. We didn't even have a band. We didn't have no disco lights. We didn't even have a sermon. All right, now let me ask you. Church is a place where they can learn to live with each other. They can encourage each other. They can pray for each other. They can cheer for each other. They can do life together in fellowship. Did we have church that day? I'm telling you what he's got in mind is a whole lot better than what we're doing. I'm going to tell you something. If you ever saw church the way he meant for it to be, you'd pay to be involved. All right. <clears throat> One more scripture. Turn with me to... Uh, John chapter 21, and I'm going to ask you a question. I hope it hurts your feelings. <laughs> you know I don't mean that. I do need for you to change the way you look at something. Yes, that's what learning does. It changes the way we look at things. I'll make an announcement. You can't love Jesus and kick his family to the curb. It, it just don't work like that. Now, you can't do the whole family, but he don't want you to do the whole family. The Lord places the members in the body as he desired. There's a group of people he wants you with though. And you, it's not this big a group. Even if you go to this church, you need to be in a little group of people where you can do church because we can't do church in this bigger group. All you can do is hear the music and learn here. You need to be with a group of people who care for you. And listen to me, they know your name. They know who you are. And let me point this out. You can be you in front of them. I don't even know who you are if you're pretending to be something. Mm -hmm. yeah. This is a place where people need to be accepted just like they are. Somebody should write a song that goes like this, just as I am. <laughs> you know why people fake it in church? You say, because they're hypocrites. No, it's not. Because churches will beat the hell out of you if you don't act perfect. Right. And we need to knock that off. This is a place for sinners. Right. This is a place for people that are trying to learn. This is not a place for the righteous. This is a place for the sick. That's why I know that I'm polished as a preacher. <laughs> Doc, what you see is what you get. All right. Uh, we're going to read a verse here, a couple of verses. Suppose, I get once in a while, I get invited to eat. Somebody said to me, Brother Brian, we, we love you. Would you come to our house and eat? And I'll say, sure, be glad to. When? 
Friday night, six o'clock. I said, great, me and Katie will be there. Oh no, no, don't bring that evil woman you're married to. Well, then she ain't coming. Guess who else ain't? Me and mama a pair. I promise you, me and mama a pair. Ain't no sense asking me if she can't come. Lord Jesus, I love you, but that old ugly woman you married to, you can't say that to him. Read with me, John chapter 21, final page of the gospels. Verse 15, when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Just stop right there. I don't want to hear about your perfect attendance. I don't want to hear that you don't smoke. I don't want to hear that you can sing. What's the real question? Do you love Jesus? That's the question right there. He said, Simon said, I want to know, do you love me? By the way, you do realize this is right after he'd messed up big time. Jesus didn't say a word about him messing up. All they wanted to know is, do you still love me? He said, do you love me? Watch what he said. More than these, Jesus said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, what? Feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. What did Jesus say to Simon? Take care of my people. Tend my sheep. Number three, verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, you love me? Peter was bothered because he kept asking, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, what? Feed my sheep. Are you making the connection? If I say, oh, I love Jesus, guess what? I better be taking care of his people. What's the measuring stick? Do you love me? Take care of my people. Listen, this thing of, uh, I love Jesus, but I don't want nothing to do with his people. You can't reconcile that with the Bible. It's got to line up with the God to love Jesus. I'm going to give you a picture, one of the greatest pictures I've ever seen. We have a lady here. I love her dearly. She's about my age, a little bit younger. And uh, she's a single mother. She has a child. He's 28 years old, 28, 29. I know that because he went to, he graduated with my daughter. 28, 29 years old. And he's a special needs fellow. He's handicapped. He can't take care of himself. He couldn't feed himself. He couldn't get himself dressed by himself. He can't do anything for himself. And this lady, I love her. She's beautiful. She has absolutely given up her life to take care of him. That's what she lives. That's all she does. She don't date. She couldn't date. She doesn't have a friend. She just loves this boy, her man, her, her invalid man child. And she loves him dearly. He's a good looking guy. And uh, she, she works. She has a job. She works for living free. And she has to take him with her. He has to be right there all the time. She looks after him. And I love him dearly. I love to talk to him. He, he don't know but a few words. And one day I went over to see him and she'd been teaching him, you know, trying to get him to talk. He don't talk much. Occasionally he didn't talk at all. And uh, he'd, learned, he'd learned to say something. And I went and I said, how you doing, buddy? He said, brown biggers. <laughs> I said, they'd be nice to you. He said, brown biggers. And he learned to say my name. I was so thrilled. And uh, that's, that's about all I ever hear out of him. And uh, she lays down her life for him. She's one of the greatest people I ever met. She has abandoned, she's completely given up her life to care for him. Now listen to me. She does not begrudge it. It's not a job for her. It's not a duty to her. She adores that boy. I'll go over and see him and, and she'll be standing there and she'll say, Pastor Brian, doesn't he look good today? And she'll fix his hair and she'll take her finger, just fix his hair. You can tell by looking at her, she loves him dearly. What's he ever going to do for her? He won't take care of her when she gets old. He can't take care of himself. He'll never make a dime. He'll never feed himself. He can't do anything for her. Why does she absolutely adore him? How many times have I visited with him and enjoyed it so much? And then I'll walk off and the spirit of God will impress on me. You just saw the love of God right there. You just saw the way Jesus looks at you. You just saw the love of God. Let me remind you something. <clears throat> I don't care how handicapped people are. They are loved by Jesus. Yes. That man gave his life for us screwed up people. Did that offend you that I called us handicapped? <laughs> how many times have I just looked up and said, thank you for loving your handicapped son. Yeah. By the way, special needs people, they're my favorite people. I love them dearly. They don't try to impress anybody. They don't put on what you see is what you get. We have a ministry here for special needs and a fellow named Steve runs it. I've told him many a time, let's trade. I want them, you can have them. 
Dear ones, I want you to know the love of Jesus and I want you to experience his love like that lady for her son. I think we might need to change the way we look at his handicapped children. Love me, love my cat. Love me, love my children. If we ever see the way he looks at people, we will look at people differently. All right, Lord Jesus, I want to praise you. Thank you for loving handicapped children. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you, it's just the, I don't know, the craziness of the fact that the creator of the universe would call me to the table to be his son. Your, Your word said in 2 Samuel, is there anybody I can show the kindness of God to? He shall eat continually at my table. Thank you that you've called me to the table. Dear Jesus, as I look around, you've called some other people at that same table. And I cannot say, I don't want them at this table. I just want me and you, Jesus. That's not the way it works. You you didn't call a person, you called a family. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, we're not not real good at this, but we want to be. I want to pray for every person. Everybody in this room is looking for family. Everybody in this room wishes they had a group of people that knew their name, accepted them like they are, loved them, encouraged them that they could tell the truth to and they'd be prayed for and loved instead of shot down. I pray for, this is a big order, Jesus. You're a big guy. I pray for every person in this room and everybody listening to me that they can find their way into a church. Not one with a steeple on top and a name out front, but a group of people that will care for them and they can care for like your word describes. And then Lord Jesus, instead of saying, I don't want to go to church, we'd do what your word says. We would say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I like coming here. These people love me. They take care of me. I just trust you. Lord Jesus, the great promise you made, I will build my church. This world only exists for a church to come out of and be your bride. I trust you for that. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for answering my prayer. Precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.